0: Start here. Morning. Thank you, choir. Wow. 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 That was fantastic. Yeah. Kind of gets you excited about the fact that Christmas is not far away and we're going to hear from them a lot more. So thank you so much, guys. Well, um, it's not the three tenors. <laughs> Don't worry. We promise not to sing. Instead, it's the three pastors. And uh, we're going to give three sermons, so you got to get out of here, you know, in time for the reception tonight at 6 o'clock. No, we promise we won't do that. Um, we have a, a great day. If you're visiting with us this morning, let me just uh, um, apologize to you to the extent to say that this is not a typical Sunday for us. Normally, uh, Todd would probably be standing here opening God's Word and preaching about uh, Shema, which has been our current series. But we have something great to celebrate. Last week, uh, our church took um, an incredible action in calling Todd Lanting to be our pastor. Can I get a yay? That's uh, a milestone for us. It's only happened one other time in the history of this church in 25 years. Our founding pastor, George, uh, didn't need to be called. He was here from the beginning. and uh, So... He called us. And about 20 years ago or so, Dave McPherson was called as a pastor here, and he served for 17 years here, was, um, if not the primary force, certainly a primary force in uh, bringing this church from where it was to where it is today, and we owe a lot to him. But that's the only other time that a pastor has been called in this congregation, in addition to what happened last week. So... We want to talk a little bit about why this is so great. It's so great uh, for a couple of reasons. It's great because we have a founding pastor that's staying, but willing to step back into um, some, somewhat of a different title and a different role. We're calling him the founding pastor emeritus. If you look that word up, emeritus, you'll probably find that it says retired. He will not let us use the word retired, so don't say that to George. What it means to us is that he's earned his position of honor among us and that um, he can stay as long as he wants and do what he wants to do. It's also great because of who God has brought to us, Pastor Todd, and we're excited about the future with him. But finally, it's great because of the way that it's, that it's taken place. My observation, and maybe yours and my experience, uh, in watching churches transition or change into a new leader or a new pastor could best be described by the word convulsion. <laughs> Churches seem not to be able to, to just move forward, but they kind of convulse. A pastor uh, leaves for whatever reason. Maybe he retires. Maybe he becomes ill. Maybe he dies. Um, maybe he runs off with the organist. We'd, that's why we don't, we don't have an organist. Maybe he's fired. In, a, in whatever, uh, whatever the circumstances are, Um, the church is left scrambling, often, for a new leader. And uh, that turns out to be not so good. It turns out to be a tough time for a church. Often, uh, we fail to plan ahead and to think about the inevitable. The inevitable is that sooner or later, a pastor will leave a church. Statistics tell us that, uh, depending on which, uh, which studies you look at, that the average tenure for a pastor in a church is either three to five years or five to seven years before they are, they're called away or move or, or uh, give up or whatever, that they, they leave a church. So George is, um, the fact that George has been here for 25 years is uh, remarkable. The fact that Dave McPherson stayed here for 17 years is remarkable. It tells us that there's something different about this church, about our leaders, and, um, and about how you take care of your leaders. So... Um, Anyway, we know that sooner or later, a pastor will change his role in a church or move on. We don't always prepare for it. And because of that, uh, we scramble and make decisions too quickly. Sometimes a pastor is called to a church after one or two sermons recommended by a search committee. Um, and the church says, well, we like those sermons, let's come. And then the, the result of that often is that in a short time, both the pastor and the church regret that decision... And there's a lot of uh, angst and difficulty for the church. There has to be um, a better approach, a better uh, idea than a convulsion in changing from one pastor to another. And I think the word that we would be looking for is transition. Let me talk to you about just three simple biblical analogies or, or examples of the right kind of transition. They should be very familiar to you. I'm going to talk about Moses and Joshua, Elijah and Elisha, and Paul and Timothy... Moses and Joshua, uh, we find in Deuteronomy 31, these words. Then Moses called for Joshua, and as all Israel watched, he said to him, Be strong and courageous, for you will lead these people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors he would give them. You are the one who will divide it among them as as their grants of land. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord will personally go ahead of you, He will be with you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. When we think about that transition, we have to ask ourselves, who was Joshua? And why was he the one that Moses uh, endorsed in front of the people and commissioned for this job of leadership? We realize as we read the the Old Testament that Joshua was uh, Moses' personal attendant in many instances. His assistant, he worked with him. For 40 years, um, he followed as Moses led the people through the wilderness. Joshua was one of the only, one of two uh, out of 12 of the spies who went to the land and came back and said, yeah, they're giants, yeah, it looks uh, impossible, yeah, it's way beyond our ability, but we have faith that God gave us this land. And Joshua and Caleb said, we can do it because God will bring us into this land and God will conquer it for us. And so that's the kind of man that Joshua was, and Joshua and and Moses had a relationship, a long-standing relationship, in which Joshua, no doubt, learned a lot from Moses and was ready for the for the task of leadership that was ahead. In First Kings, we read about Elijah and Elisha. Let me just read um, from First Kings chapter nineteen. Then the Lord told him, "This is to Elijah: Go back the same way you came, and travel to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive there, anoint Hazael, king of Aram." And then anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, to be king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from the town of Abel-Mehaloah... ...to replace you as my prophet. So Elijah went and found Elisha, son of uh, Shaphat, plowing a field. And there were 12 teams of oxen in the field. And Elisha was plowing with his 12th team. Elijah went over to him, threw his cloak across his shoulders... ...and then walked away. And Elisha left the oxen standing there ran after Elijah and said to him first let me go kiss my father and my mother goodbye and then I'll go with you. And Elijah replied, go on back but think about what I have done to you. So Elisha returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. He used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople and they all ate and then he went with Elijah as his assistant. It's interesting if you look at the kind of the back story here with Elijah Elijah was at the Place of total burnout. He had had an incredible experience of calling down fire and facing down the prophets of Baal. Um, and he uh, had stood for the Lord and um, was participating in a great victory for what was right and for, uh, for the people to return back to faith in the Lord and, and to give up their false gods. And he faced down 400 of the prophets of Baal. But when a woman the queen, Jezebel, threatened his life. He ran. And he wisely ran, I think. He ran to the wilderness. And he found himself in a cave. And after the Lord uh, uh, saw him there and said, What are you doing, Elijah? And Elijah said, Well, you know, it's, it's all gone to pieces. You know, I'm, I've tried to be faithful to you, but I'm the only one. And God said, No, no, Elijah. There are many more. There are 7,000 more that have not bowed down. And here's what I want you to do. I'm going to show you the, not only that there are people that are still faithful, but I'm going to show you the future. And the future was you go anoint this guy as a king, and you go to anoint this guy as a king, and go find Elisha. Because Elisha is the one that will succeed you in the role of prophet of Israel. And I want you to find him, and I want you to anoint him, and I want you to call him aside. And so Elijah, um, and there's a transition from uh, Elijah to Elisha. And then in the New Testament, we read of Paul and Timothy. Paul's articulation of the better path of transition comes in 2 Timothy 2.2. And we read these words. And the things Paul writing to Timothy says, "...the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others." And there Paul articulates the pattern for transition of leadership... Paul and Timothy had a long-standing relationship. Paul uh, likely led Timothy to faith in Christ. Paul discipled Timothy. Paul called Timothy to go with him on his journeys. Paul worked with Timothy in uh, the church at Ephesus. And he left Timothy there uh, with the charge to straighten out some of the problems. He wrote letters to Timothy. And he called Timothy to come and be with him. And they had this long-standing relationship. And Paul says to Timothy, this is the pattern... Find reliable men and entrust them with the message, not just the message of the gospel, but all the things you've heard me say about how the church should operate, about how we should live for Christ, about the difference we ought to make in this world. The things you've heard me say, entrust to reliable men who will be able also to teach them to others. And that sets the pattern for what a transition ought to look like. Now, I wouldn't want to force those comparisons too much. I mean, if we were thinking about Moses... um, Really, George is not ready to climb Mount Nebo and uh, die and wait for God to bury him in a secret place. Although I have heard George say that, like Moses, he plans to live to be 120 years old. (laughs) I don't know, because I don't think I'll live that long to find out. But um, obviously, we want to enforce that comparison. But we do see the comparison of someone who was an attendant, a young leader that was an attendant to um, a, a leader from the past or an older leader and learned from him. Same way with uh, Elijah and Elisha. Elisha became the personal assistant to Elijah so that he could watch and he could see what he did and he could see how he lived his life and uh, be prepared to step into that role as the prophet. Transition means that um, we develop a leadership plan before the point of crisis, before it's uh, scramble around and find someone else to be the pastor. It means that we cultivate relationships between new and established leaders in between new leaders and the congregation so that we don't just throw a surprise on on people. It means that we celebrate the future as we venerate the past so that a new leader doesn't come in and and change everything, but he appreciates where God has brought um, a church, the history of that church, and and God's working in that church, and he's ready to move forward with that strong sense of heritage and uh, basis and legacy. By God's grace, certainly not because we're so smart, by God's grace, we've been able to fall into the better model at this point. And that was possible, I believe, for two reasons. One, George was ready and enthusiastic about passing the baton. He's run his leg of the race. He's ready to pass the baton on to the next person, to Todd, to run his leg of the race. And secondly, God sent Todd and moved his heart to consider becoming a pastor... When I first met Todd, I don't believe that was on his radar screen at all. In fact, I'm pretty sure it was one of the things he did not want to do. But God has moved in his heart, then open it up for him to be willing to do that. Both of these men have demonstrated the right stuff. Humility and obedience to God's guidance. And we're fortunate to have them. What I'd like to do uh, with a, a, a little bit of the time that we have remaining... ...is just ask a, ask a couple of questions to Todd and to George and to let them speak... And um, then we'll ask uh, George if he would like to give a charge to Todd, and we'll let Todd respond to that. And then we'll be just about ready to leave. So let me uh, ask George a couple of questions. I'm going to go sit on uh, uh, the stool.
1: Good idea.
0: (laughs) How's this? All right, George. the
1: Three Stooges.
0: <laughs> Can you tell us, uh, George, a little bit about your experience from the past and uh, how you've watched the church stumble through leadership change and what you learned from that, and particularly how it shaped your thinking about the right way to affect change in leadership at the church?
1: Um, well, I, I uh, was um, <clears throat> actually came to Christ, as you well know, in the United States Navy. Uh, so I, was, uh, I arrived at a retreat, a flaming pagan, and left forgiven. So I had no uh, good experience in the church. Uh, so when the opportunity came along uh, and God opened that door, I was uh, hired at uh, Bear Creek Presbyterian Church. There I um, saw um, a wonderful pastor named Pastor John Code. Uh, but in the process, John was what I call, he had a whack-a-mole approach to leadership. Have you ever played uh, a whack-a-mole at Chubby Chuckles? Uh, Whenever there's little groups that hop up, he just whack them, right? (laughs) And it works, and lots of churches do that. Um, But when John got two grand mal seizures, September 21st, 1981, uh, he was diagnosed with brain cancer, and uh, he never was able to operate again. So six months later, he died, uh, March 21st, 1982. And uh, that kind of left things a big void, So suddenly the groups that thought they wanted to, had a better idea than John, and there were a lot of them in the church, decided they would uh, rise up. It was chaos. Um, And when John died, uh, I took it very seriously in that I uh, started to read the gospel, or I should say, uh, the book of Joshua. Out of that, I felt like God spoke. And uh, um, this church was founded through the very first chapter of the book of Joshua, And uh, one of the parts of the deal was uh, I've been trying to hand the baton over for 25 years. (laughs) And uh, finally, uh, uh, the Lord has brought someone who is is, uh, his decision. What um, is interesting that I learned from Bear Creek Church is that I I think it does a disservice to a church to um, have it all concentrate on one guy. You said it well, Dave, When in your comments. Uh, God never intended that. The Scripture, Old and New Testament, doesn't teach that. Uh, that eventually, through shared leadership, uh, leadership will come up, and the church will remain healthy as uh, we progress with uh, folks that are committed to the Scripture and committed to the Word and committed to the person of Christ. And uh, that's what's happening here. So this is a gift from God, frankly, and... Uh, I don't know if I answered your question, but I had fun talking.
0: <laughs> I'll ask you another one. <laughs> uh, you answered very well. Thank you. Uh, could you talk briefly about briefly about Todd? <laughs> what did you see in him that convinced you that he would be a good fit for West Bowles and someone that you could support and endorse as a pastor?
1: Uh, The first time I uh, met Todd was, uh, he was teaching in an adult class. And he had made the comment, think Hebrew. And I was way in the back, and I thought, this is is our guy. (laughs) Think Hebrew basically means study the scripture, study it in its context, learn its context, be accurate, and be very sincere and authentic to what the scripture really says, and then teach that. And uh, that was my prayer all along, that we would be authentic uh, with the gospel. And uh, as my relationship with Todd has unfolded, I would say that has just grown. And uh, so, thank Hebrew. (laughs) Thank Hebrew.
0: Well, I've watched you guys, and uh, it's obvious that you are personally friends and have a lot of respect and high regard for one another. So, Todd, that transitions for me to ask you. I'm going to uh, reverse the questions. I'm going to ask you first to talk about George and uh, what qualities you've seen uh, in him that have drawn you to him as a friend and as a mentor.
2: Oh, man. Briefly. Yeah, briefly. <laughs> hmm. You've seen many of them on display this morning already. They, you guys know who've known George. To know George is to love him. Um, I was think. yes, amen. <laughs> I, I was thinking about the... I was thinking about that last night, because uh, Dave called and he shared with us the question he was going to ask, and so I just started jotting down on a piece of paper some of the first things I think about when I think of you, George, and I had three, yeah, three-point sermon, right? As <laughs> I went, three main areas that came out for me. Um, you are a transparent, loving encourager were the three key areas for me and what draws me to you. Um, What you see is what you get with this man. There is no insincerity. There is no hidden agenda. Uh, He wears his heart on his sleeve. And in that way, George, um, you are a whole lot like Jesus. And I really appreciate how honest and open and transparent you are. One of the ways, as you know, that he's most transparent is how much it is that he loves God, he loves his word, and he loves people. And that draws me to you, George. Those are some passions that I share, and it's fun to do that with you. And last, I mean, I know you say your name is George, which I think means farmer. Farmer, Yeah. And that works, because you till the soil, and more than farmer, it's that old term, you know, husband, husband, husbandry, thank you. Yeah, you know, it's more than just someone who works the land, uh, he cares for it. There's a stewardship there. But, and I know that's your name, but I I wonder if his name really isn't Barnabas. I, I think I knew, although I'm sort of Timothy in the model, I think I knew what Paul meant, or what Paul must have felt like to have a Barnabas um, Guy's nickname, his real name was Joseph. They called him Barney, which means son of encouragement. This is a true Barnabas that we have and that I'm blessed to have in my life. So thank you for being so transparent, for being so loving, and for being such a relentless encourager. I really appreciate that. Thanks.
0: So, Todd, I know I <laughs> mentioned that uh, when we first met, you had no intention of ever stepping into the role of a pastor or a senior pastor of a church. What, uh, what changed in the last four years um, that brought you to the place where you were willing to consider that?
2: I don't know. No, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> Did you
0: think you know, so? Yes. <laughs>
2: no, I do know. Um, the, short answer, I, the short answer to the question is... Um, In the last, uh, about three, four months ago, uh, God's call finally became clear uh, to me, to Jill, to the kids that this is what He wanted us to do. Uh, And before it wasn't as clear. Um, It was clear in different ways. He wanted us to share time between school and church. Uh, I know that He wanted me to teach and share the passion for His Word and love God, love others that. Others shared with me, I know God wanted me to do that, but in terms of what venue or how that would work out or what role or what title, um, there was a fullness of time thing, I think, that was going on. But it became clear that God wanted me and, and us um, well, to be pastor and to do that here. Um, that's the short answer. Well, the short answer was kind of long. Um, <laughs> You know, and the primary way that he did that, um, I'd have to say, is through you all. Um, From the first time that I was here in that Sunday school class, there was a hunger here, a passion here for that same insight that I have and I love and drives me that one window of cultural context uh, into God's Word. You're hungry for God's Word, and you were so attentive and so eager, and I thought, wow, what a joy to teach someone or to share something that you're passionate about, and see they're passionate about it too. And I really That struck me as different than any place, from top to bottom at least, that I'd ever served or that I'd ever been in. And also just uh, the love and acceptance, encouragement that you've given to Jill and the kids and to me since we've been here. Um, Even if I wasn't up here, or even if I wasn't going to be pastor or part of the leadership in this church at all, um, and we were just here looking for a church, this would be easily the place that we would choose to belong. You've become family. and you know, the final area, I have to mention it because I started to think of, well, if this piece wasn't here, um, would I be doing this or be so eager to do it? And the final piece for me where God used to really confirm and clear, clarify the call was both the heritage of this church and the staff that is present here. Um, you know, whether the Kirstens, and the McPhersons, Dave and Mary Jane and Bob, Matt and Annika that we still have here, George and Glenda, of course. There are deep roots here that are firmly embedded in a drive to love God and love others, particularly through service, to show people love. That is in your DNA from, well, at least a former outsider who's been here three years, who have come to appreciate what they literally built here and what also they embedded here. And that's a heritage that I'm honored to pick up and to carry, and I hope I can do it half as well as those who have gone before and will count myself blessed. Um, The staff that you have here, one of the reasons why I looked at pastor and thought, why would any knucklehead ever want to become a pastor or senior pastor in a church? That would be like the worst thing. And one of those reasons was I saw how church was modeled in the West and it would ruin people. And I didn't want that to happen to my family. I didn't want it to happen to me. And I didn't think it was the healthiest model um, biblically in terms of how church should be done. That one man or one woman is viewed as some sort of messianic figure and it's going to be them and it's all about them. And it's like, I'm a prideful man and you put me in a spot like that and I'll fail. But, George mentioned it, the shared leadership here and the talent that you have, that we have on this staff, I've never seen anything like it. And for me to step in a leadership role among leaders is something, you know what, so help me God, I'm eager to do. Because I'll step out and step forward confident that these amazing people that God has already put on place here will step with me and we're going to be looking, and we're confident that you're going to step with us, but the staff here was probably the finest. you know, and it took time for about three years we've gotten to know each other, and um, it's a fit, and I'm excited I'm excited to see um, where God leads all of us. but that's some of it. Excellent. Dave, there's more. but I'm sure. Broncos play at 11 today, okay. right?: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Georgia. Um, what would you like to say to Todd as you uh, turn over this responsibility?
1: Is this a charge? Or yeah. yeah, the charge? charge him.
0: Well, first of all,
1: I'd like to give you my Harley socks. Um, <laughs> and um, everybody on the staff gets Harley socks because that's how uh, fond I am of all of you. I totally agree, um, but I'm sorry the congregation doesn't get Harley socks because I don't have enough money to get Harley socks for everybody. Um, when we started the church years ago, uh, I, um, we used to do a lot of different things, including I used to sing. I was sort of the music and uh, everything. <clears throat> um, when you start from scratch, it's quite comical. So uh, I, um, I thought of a charge, uh, and two in number. One is Psalm 1. Um, which is, uh, you can look it up right now if you would, just turn your Bible to Psalm 1, because I'm going to sing it to Todd. Oh, great. Um, and you're the second... Gonna, you're not going to get down on a knee. No. Okay. Um, and the second is out of Second Timothy uh, chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 4. Uh, when, when you look thematically, old and new, there are two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of man, the kingdom of God. And God has called us as believers and also leaders and pastors to teach and proclaim the truth of God's Word. In Psalm 1, he uh, contrasts what is called um, the godly and the wicked. My, my guitar, if, if it sounds way out of tune, it's because it's my guitar's fault, not my voice. <laughs> but um, Psalm... One was this psalm is actually written. When I came to Christ, um, one of the areas that I needed to change was my dating life, and uh, so I didn't date for a year. I was 27 years old, just uh, still active in the Navy. But when I did, I dated oddly enough Christian girls, which was a very strange, peculiar thing for me to do. And uh, this one girl actually wrote the song. It's uh, we would study Scripture. Can you believe that? On a date, we would actually memorize scripture. And this is Psalm 1. I hope you're following. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scoffer. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. He is like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth its fruit in its own season. His leaves shall not wither. Whatsoever he doeth shall prosper, shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. They are like the chaff, which the wind driveth away. Boy, his guitar's out of tune. (laughs) Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous man, the way of the ungodly shall perish. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scoffer. His delight is in the law of the Lord, in his law doth he meditate day and night. Mm-hmm. Psalm 1. Thank you, Psalm Thank you so 1. You're welcome. I also want to give you a charge um, out of Timothy, which um, I'll just recite it. Um, Paul says to Timothy, um, preach the word. Uh, um, rebuke, encourage, admonish there'll be a time when people won't endure sound doctrine uh, but they would much prefer to hear a myth and genealogy and the tickling of their ears and so they want basically for us to compromise the truth don't do it he says do the work, uh, preach the word do the work of an evangelist and uh, this church has a bright future that's my charge to you Todd Thank you. So Great.
2: Uncle Scott, right? Yeah. Do yeah. you, have,
1: you have a song
2: for I was just sitting there thinking, <laughs> I wish I had a song to sing. A canicle? Thank you for that. A oh, canicle? Yeah, a canicle. What's a canicle?
1: Well, it's kind of like um, well, I won't tell you.
2: It's <laughs> a kind of a song? It's actually a ritualistic
1: song yeah. out of the Lutheran Church. You all know, if you were raised in the Lutheran Church, it is music, scripture actually put to almost a Catholic background, Lutheran background. I'll bring one next week. All right, we can <laughs> sing it next week.
2: I had, um, it's interesting because, um, well, Dave mentioned it, uh, at least the verse that um, I was thinking of to tell you. I, All week long, or all month long, really, really since I've known you, and you've talked about um, wanting someone to share in this, and someone to pass a baton to, Um, George is a Navy man, as most of you know, and um, he always talked about in terms of, uh, you know, he's looking for someone, and he knew God would send someone to um, hand over the helm to, want to hand over the helm, want to hand over the helm, how (laughs) many times have you said that, I, I don't know, and, um, I mean, what I want to say to you is, all right, fine. Um, I'll take the helm, but you better stay on the bridge. <laughs> Don't leave. You've been a pastor for how many years? Twenty-five here. More than that, forever. Yeah, forever. Um, Me and Methuselah. Yeah, you and Methuselah. <laughs> so, please, I hope you're not going anywhere. No. Um, there's a verse in uh, Deuteronomy 34. It's the very last chapter of Deuteronomy. And it works a little bit because you got to be Moses this morning. I'm yeah. pretty jealous of that. I got to be Joshua, but Moses is one of my heroes. Big time. And the verse, it's almost the last verse in Deuteronomy. And um, the text tells us that Moses was 120 years old when he died. And I know you're not quite 120. And I know you're not about to die. I'm making it
1: to 132 because right. I'm middle-aged. <laughs>
2: And then it's it's an interesting note that the text adds this. Moses was 120 years when he died, but his eyes were not weak, nor was his strength gone. And I like the NASB better. Instead of strength, it uses that word vigor. Nor was his vigor abated. And I don't know about you, but in the last three years that I've gotten to know you, George, your vigor hasn't been diminishing not one bit in fact it's grown and I know and you know and we know we've talked about it'll grow and God is having you grow it into different areas mm-hmm. please don't run off and hide and please continue to bless us and to bless me we need you, I need you to continue investing all of that vigor that God's still growing in you here with us and with me count on it Please. Yeah. Hey.
1: bless you
0: We're going to ask uh, these two guys to go together out into the foyer and uh, give you an opportunity to shake their hands and uh, say greet them on your way out this morning. So, and then uh, as they go, um, I'm going to talk a little bit about tonight. <laughs> you can skip down the aisle if you'd like. Okay, just just for a second, let me remind you that tonight at 6 o'clock we'll have a reception. We're going to have a roast of George, which uh, means we're going to have a lot of fun uh, telling some of the funny stories about George from the past. Also have an open mic if you want to uh, come and express yourself to him. And if you'd like to, jot down a note to him uh, this afternoon and bring it with you. Now, some of you aren't going to make it tonight. We have a special gift prepared for George, and I just wanted to show you what it's going to be. Um, This is uh, going to be mounted in the uh, parking lot. At a place that George will choose. And that'll be um, uh, kind of a a, a milestone gift for him. So we'll see you tonight at 6 o'clock. The uh, praise team is going to lead us in a hymn. And that'll be our closing prayer. So let's stand and sing together.